What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode. Very dense episode uh, topic being the Lightning Network. Matt O'Dell and I sat down with Yoast Yager, uh, independent Lightning Network developer, uh, focused on security now, building out some uh, security tools for the Lightning Network. Uh, beyond security aspect, uh, Yoast is done a bunch of work on the lightning network so we we're very happy to have uh, the ability to speak with him for an hour about his experience working on the lightning network how he views the future of the lightning network and the hurdles it needs to overcome uh, as we head into that future so i think you guys are really going to like this episode this episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking cash app cash app cash app cash app get your money in the trap dog get the cash app Stack those sats. Send those sats. Receive those sats. Sell those sats. If you so please, we're saying sats, sats, sats. Because you can make sats the standard in the app. I was trying to think of a, a rhyming rap there. But your boy Marty, uh, you can write uh, pretty poorly. You can speak into the mic cannot rap at all. But I can talk to you about stacking sats, sending sats, receiving sats, selling sats. If you so please, sats, 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 sats. So the standard in the app, if you want to make it the, the standard. You can also... Uh, make whole bitcoins the standard in the app if you want to i prefer sats stacking whole sats over fractions of bitcoin just feels more powerful uh when you're doing your your daily purchases oh did i mention you could dca via the cash app you can set daily buys weekly buys bi-weekly buys uh if you so please you can set it and forget it have the peace of mind knowing that you are uh constantly stacking sats on a set cadence uh so you don't have to fomo ever uh you can DCA in. On top of that, you can stack slivers of stonks if you want to. I know you guys don't like the stonk market. I know the stonk market puked a bit last night when uh, we found out Trump had COVID. I know uh, Bitcoin did as well. But uh, in the Cash App, you can stack sats or slivers of stonks. Uh, what is a sliver of a stonk? Uh, it's it's a, a term that I came up with to help uh, conceptualize the fact that you can buy as little as $1 of your favorite stonk via the cash app if it's too expensive out of your price range you can buy a sliver as little as one dollar uh cash app investing is subsidiary square and member sipc as always make sure you use the code stacking sats when you download the cash app that's s-t-a-c-k-i-n-g-s-a-t-s uh you're gonna get ten dollars and ten dollars gonna go to our good friends at owls across that's owls across <laughs> <laughs> Use a good stacking sats. Download the Cash App. Enjoy this episode with Yost Yager. If you're enjoying the podcast in general, this is our fifth episode this week, freaks. Don't say we don't put up for you, all right? We're putting out content. Hopefully, it's quality content. Let us know. Give us feedback. Uh, if you're liking the content and you feel so compelled to give us a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts, that goes a long way. Helps get uh, get the podcast more visible on the platform and gets that quality information out to uh Pre-freaks. Pre-freaks? We have pre-coiners. We call them pre-freaks, that they're not freaks yet. What do we call them? Let's find a name for these people. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Appreciate your continued support. Uh, we're, we're hitting some crazy numbers and downloads, so uh, I just want to thank you guys for uh, consistently coming back and listening to my dumb thoughts on Bitcoin. Enjoy. Dickie. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. 
So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here for another interview. Joined with Matt Odell this time around. Matt, how are we? Yo, yo, yo. Happy to be here. We are uh, we are sitting down with uh, independent Lightning Network developer Yost Jaeger, who wrote a uh, enlightening piece last week. I reached out to him and uh, figured we'd have a discussion about what's going on with the Lightning Network. Yost, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. And like I said, you wrote a post last week. Uh, you had a um, a Twitter thread and then a post describing an attack that could be levied against uh, channel operators on uh, the Lightning Network pretty easily. Uh, and uh, the uh, other theme of that post is that uh, there are a lot of security flaws that need to be uh, tightened up on the Lightning Network. Uh, and that is the effort you are putting forth with your Circuit Breaker project. But uh, yeah, so we, Matt and I wanted to get you on to just talk about the Lightning Network in general, uh, where it may be lacking as it pertains to security, and then your the attack that you outlined specifically. So uh, maybe we can start with the attack, as it's a, a timely uh, a timely subject, considering your post was dropped last week, and then get into broader security flaws in, in your view of the, the Lightning Network at large. Yeah, sure. Um, so let me say first, like this is a tech and a tech sounds pretty grave, but with the thing that I described, it's not possible to steal funds from someone else. So it's, it's more like they also call this a griefing attack. So you can cause grief, but you're not actually losing money. And it, you, it is, you could consider it as the equivalent of a DDoS attack on a website, uh, basically that, but then on a lighting channel. So with relatively little effort and also cost. Uh, it's possible to disable a channel by spamming it with um, payments. Uh, and, and those payments are not normal payments, but these are payments that take a very long time to complete. So on purpose, you set up a system that allows you to make payments uh, that take a very long time to complete. And all that time, those payments will uh, sit on the channel and uh, block the channel from, from being used for something else. And... And so you described it in your uh, your post the the amount of money needed to levy this this griefing attack is is not a lot. You can do it with very yeah. few sets. Yeah, because uh, the main reason that you can do this for very few sets is that um, in Lightning it doesn't cost you anything to send a payment. You only pay when the payment is settled. So payment attempts are free, and that's also a good thing because. Uh, you need to find routes, you need to try routes, and if those fail, and you would have to pay for all of those, it wouldn't be as like compelling as it is now, because you can try, and if you have a lot of time, you can try a lot of routes, try, try to find the absolutely cheapest route that's there, and once the payment reaches the final destination, it is settled, and only then you're paying, paying all the hops along the route. But this very same property, like that allows you to make these payment attempts for free, also allows you to... Um, to block those channels if you are malicious. 
and and your focus was particularly on Wumbo channels that are that are public. So without a uh, major uh, project like Circuit Breaker, uh, how would you attempt to mitigate this this attack? Do private channels help anywhere here? Yeah, so it's not particular to Wumbo channels. You can also uh, execute this. Well, this is also something that has been known for a very long time. I haven't tweeted anything that wasn't known already. Um, I just try to emphasize like the the, the significance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a regular channel, you could do the same thing. The only issue is with a Wumbo channel, because you have a lot more capital committed to a Wumbo channel. Um, the the grief is is more, basically. So if you have a five BTC channel. And then someone sends those 483 sets in 483 uh, distinct payments, and you can't use your five BTC for two weeks. That's more painful than it would only be a 0. 0.1, uh, 0.1 BTC. It's it's way more significant of attack in that situation, because I mean, right now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I mean, the the Lightning Network is still very immature it's very young right so i'm i would imagine i haven't done any like intense analysis but i would imagine that uh an overwhelming majority of the routing capacity is is in these very large channels between a very small set of nodes so you could disrupt you could disrupt the payments across the whole network if you if you hit a couple of the big channels right well you're you you don't really know because uh, if you've got two nodes and they may have like one very obvious wombo channel between them it could also be that they have like 20 other even larger channels that are private so if you target this wombo channel and you think you can get it down with 483 hlcs it may not work out because they have to, if they have these like shadow channels alongside the wombo channel you need a lot more hlcs to to actually block that block that pathway and it could even be that um one thing to explain is if you create a route, you create a route based on nodes. So you don't select the actual channels, you select the nodes that you want to go through. So if you go from node A to B, node A uh, is allowed to choose whatever channel they like to forward your HLC over. So if you have a 5 BTC Wombo channel and you have a 0.1 BTC uh, channel as a shadow alongside, it could be that your first 483 HLCs will go through the sh- shadow channel and leave the Wombo channel unaffected. So it's more subtle than that. Uh, and, and this is also something that you can't observe really. So the, the public part of the graph is observable, uh, but you don't really know what else is there. There, the estimates have been made based on um, channel force closures to try to figure out how many private channels are there, but it's still a pretty indirect uh, measure. So in the end, we don't really know how big the Lightning Network is at the moment. And what we also don't really know is what the actual velocity is on the network, how many transactions are flowing, flowing, through, those, flowing through those channels. And to, something to add to that, if you're a node operator, maybe you don't want to advertise your Wombo channels. Like you can advertise them if you want to show your, like if, if it's in your, uh, your interest to show how, that you've committed a lot of money to it. But uh, a smarter thing to do could be to just advertise a single channel that's sufficiently large to uh, route the biggest payment that you, ex- that you expect. Let's say I advertise 0.5 BTC, and then I put like 10 Wombo channels alongside it just to uh, create more lanes on that payment highway without revealing myself as a potential uh, channel jamming uh, target. And I know it's hard to calculate and estimates have been made, but just as somebody who's been uh, around the protocol and experimenting with it 
for some time now. Do you have a feeling of the uh, the size of the Lightning Network that is unknowable, the private uh, with private channels? Do you think it's larger than most suspect, smaller than most suspect? Um, no I, comment. I think it, yeah. I, I don't know really. I don't so don't have a feeling, but I do know node operators that uh, intentionally create those shadow channels just to keep um, stay invisible, basically. So that does happen. Uh, I don't know to what extent. Mm -hmm. And I also yeah. expect that over time more node operators will do this. Like uh, they will realize that it's not really great to advertise that you have so much capacity. So they might start converting channels into private channels. And if you look at uh, a graph explorer it looks like the Lightning Network is actually shrinking. And maybe people would say the Lightning Network isn't, it isn't growing, it's shrinking, it's a bad thing. But it could also be a sign of maturity that people become aware of the risks involved with pub uh, publishing their, the, the, the existence of a channel, um, adjusting their, their policy there. And it could be a bigger success if the network is smaller. Would you, would you say, in your opinion, that for the average user, the end user, someone who's not running a routing node, um, they should never have any need for a public channel themselves. They should only have, you know, maybe a couple private channels to some well-connected nodes. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would agree. If you're not intending to forward any traffic, it's only a disadvantage to to publish your your channels. If you make a payment yourself, it doesn't matter because you uh, find your own route. And if you're receiving money, then you uh, pass on uh, your private channel identifiers to the uh, to the to the sender. Uh, the only limitation that currently exists is if you um, make a key send payment, so a spontaneous payment. At the moment, there is no uh, route hints supported there. So if you want to do that, you need to have a public channel. But this is something that will also uh, be improved over time. So in the meantime, how? let's jump into Circuit Breaker and your efforts there. How does it mitigate these attacks? Uh, the way I understand it, you're simply allowing a node operator to uh, decide and limit the amount of inbound HTLCs that are at any given one at any given point in time yeah that's basically the idea so uh, your own your outbound site uh, you are controlling this yourself so the idea is by throttling your your inflow of HTLCs you can mitigate this risk or at least make the attack more expensive because even if you allow only a single HTLC to exist on every channel and you have 483 channels uh, created by the attacker, they can still send 483 HLCs. But I think security, it's not a, it's not a binary thing. So it's all about like making it more costly to, to execute this. But at the moment, if you just accept channels from anyone uh, with the maximum number of HLCs allowed, then um, if the, the conditions become more adver adversarial on the network, you might become a victim of this or you might facilitate this attack towards bigger nodes because that's also the thing. This channel jamming thing, you can execute it remotely. So if you are connected to uh, insignificant nodes, you can still use that to forward your HLCs to the actual targets. And because of the lighting properties, it will also be uh, harder for them to figure out where the attack's coming from because uh, they need to um, contact the previous hops, find out where the packet came from because, because everything is onion, onion encrypted. So uh, by limiting the number of uh, incoming HLCs, that's indeed like a mitigation. And the simplest way to do this at the moment, at least with L&D, is to, don't, to not install any external software at all, but just uh, set the policy, uh, policy on um, new channel opens. 
So they have the configuration flag where you can say, okay, every new channel that's open to me, I only allow five HCLCs uh, in parallel to exist there. Um, that's a quick mitigation, but the downside there is it doesn't work for existing channels. And also once a channel is opened with a, a low maximum in-flight HLC parameter, it's not possible to change it anymore. It's an immutable setting. So if you want to change that, you need to close the channel and open a new one. And and then you're basically, your denial, the attacker can still denial a service a particular route. They just can't denial a service the channel, right? Um, how do you mean denial service a route? Because a route, it's like a... Because you're limiting a route to, let's say, five HTLCs, right? Well, you only take five HTLCs from a particular source, meaning that they can only um, block so many slots on all uh, subsequent channels. Um, and they need more, many more channels to actually do this. So they're DDoSing a slot, not, not a route. Well, you're DDoSing the route indeed, but mm -hmm. the number of routes, that, okay, maybe this is like a language thing, but uh, indeed they're DDoSing the route and they can only DDoS five routes instead of 483. Uh, right. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So th this is like kind of a similar situation as, as what, uh, the Tor network is having with their, there were their DDoS attacks, right? Because of the onion routing, because you can't really detect what the source is, right? Cause historically the way you stop these denial of services is you, you just, you, you, you figure out if there's a malicious source and you just block that source. Yeah, IP tables, the IP tables and block the, uh, the traffic indeed. So that's indeed not possible. And the interesting thing here is also that um, if you set up these limits, you probably won't set, want to set them up for all nodes because there can be like trusted peers. If you are two big routing nodes and you have a few big channels between each other, you don't want to apply this limit. But if you don't apply the limit, you are vulnerable to the attack. So you really want to know that your channel peer is applying the same limit to their um, to their like untrusted peers. So the thing is that this, in the end, I'm not completely sure how this is going to work out over time, but it seems that some kind of a like web of trust is, is forming in that way of nodes that trust each other that allow high limits and everybody outside of that will uh, get lower limits. And that's yeah. quite significant because um, these are restrictions that currently don't exist on the Lightning Network. So is, yeah, that... do you think that's a centralization concern? Like, are, are, are we going to end up in a situation here where we have, you know, six big routing nodes that know each other and, and agree to this type of green zone, demilitarized zone type of situation? I, I don't think it necessarily needs to work out like that, but um, I, I'm not sure what's, what's going to happen once this is, uh, this is being implemented. Yeah, it seems that if that is implemented, there would be a a social incentive to respect that web of trust. And so that's what I'm just thinking about in my mind right now. Does the incentive to protect the web of trust exist? And is it large enough to mitigate any attacks between the trusted nodes in that web of trust? I'm thinking out loud here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the mechanics will definitely change. And like another potential um, solution would be to to really to charge money for this so you're just saying okay I, I trust nobody if you want to deliver an HCLC, want to have me to forward an HLC you just have to pay for it and you're going to pay exactly what it cost me so if you send an HLC and it remains blocked for one day you're going to pay the missed the missed interest that I could have on my Bitcoin if this wouldn't have happened um, 
and maybe that's another way to do it. And because it's Lightning, it's also easy to to create uh, and accept these these payments. So maybe that's a more elegant way to to solve the issue. Yeah, financial incentives. Uh, this is fascinating stuff, and and I'm just why I'm very happy I have you on. We ha uh, we have you on the podcast this week is because your piece was followed up by uh, another piece on the Lightning Network this week by Antoine Riard. I just thought the two complemented each other very well. And I think what yourself and Antoine are attempting to do is just to set expectations uh, straight, uh, be as upfront as possible with the limitations that currently exist on the Lightning Network, and then from there attempt to uh, paint a picture of a path forward in order of operations of how this build out may uh, need to uh, happen going forward because uh, Antoine referenced in his uh, article this week, the, the sort of push and pull between the conservatism uh, at the protocol level and the, uh, he used an analogy, Silicon Valley, like startup mentality brought to, the lightning network which may not be ready for that type of development at this point in time yeah well the same thing also is uh, you could also recognize the same thing on a feature level <clears throat> if you're developing for lightning you can choose to add more features like i also worked or contributed to new features for example uh, multipath payments is a new feature key centers new feature you've got this whole tov and tov shop thing is also a new feature it's all new features uh, which is which is cool because it also makes people more enthusiastic. It also shows unique properties of the system, things that regular payment system couldn't do. It's also important to do this. But on the other end, you've got maybe the not as spectacular um, projects that uh, further strengthen the foundation of, of the Lightning Network. So the things that Antoine is, is talking about, like he's mostly focused on like on-chain on security. When transactions go to chain, can we get them convert in time? Um, this is this is also something that needs to be looked at at some point. At some point, like if Lightning becomes the payment system of the world, uh, the environment will be much more adversarial than it currently is at the moment. It's it, not much is happening. Like given that these attacks have been known for such a long time uh, and are not being uh, executed, it just means that the Lightning Network is not a, is not a target. Uh, so there's like there's the decision: where do you want to work on? Do you want to add more functionality to make it more usable? Uh, or do you want to make it more more secure, even though we don't have a security issue at the moment, practically speaking? So this this is a hard decision to make. Like, where do you focus your 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 time on? But I think at this stage, also with the bigger channels and uh, more users, more users committing uh, money to it, maybe it wouldn't be bad to to shift over a bit of the effort to the to the foundation side from the from the new feature side. So that's basically also what I'm try to try to do by uh, writing those tweets and making it more digestible because not not every user is reading those mailing list posts and not every user is reading all those uh, pdf white papers so i try to take like the most important parts of it and maybe make a small demo or show some transactions in the blockchain explorer to create more awareness of that and hopefully also create a, a demand for um, fixing those uh, security issues to stay ahead of potential um, bad actors really like we want first i'd rather attack ourselves first before someone else does it yeah it seems most advantageous to me as well and so do you think 
people are too optimistic about Lightning right now? Do you think people are moving too fast? Uh, or do you, do you simply think just attention needs to be diverted to the security side of things? Uh, I don't think people are too optimistic about it because I, it is like an amazing invention, really. I like I've dedicated already two years of my life on working on this, and I wouldn't have done this if I wouldn't believe in this. And during all those two two years, I see no fundamental issue why this couldn't work. Like there are a lot of issues, like plenty of them, many also unsolved. There's still a lot of work to do, but I totally believe in the whole concept. Just thinking about this, if I would be sitting on a cafe with someone else and I can make an off-chain payment with pen and paper, basically, that's what it is. And it would be enforceable on chain. It's just magically like some, now and then I think about this again and I think, is it really possible that math can do this? And apparently math can do this. So it's, it's just amazing. And yeah, so that's very optimistic. And also the fact that there isn't really like another second contender or another project that is as far as lightning, it's also has proven itself over, over time. Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. People took your tweet thread, particularly people uh, working on projects outside of Bitcoin and claimed it as a, a death knell of the Lightning Network. I saw that, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> it's probably hard to communicate the right thing to everyone. <laughs> right. Well, they obviously didn't read the whole thread where you presented a problem and then, uh, but at the end of the thread, presented a solution in the form of Circuit Breaker. Uh, it highlights the uh, the inability of, of uh, some, some reading attention spans that we have in this space. Yeah, I also wouldn't want to say that Circuit Breaker is the solution to everything. Also, if you look at it, it's just a tiny, tiny project at the moment. It just, uh, it, it's basically a front end to LMD's HLC interception API. So it's nothing, it's, it's nothing really special, but it, I just wanted to get the thinking going around this. Like a thing like Circuit Breaker, do we need it? Do we want to install it already now? Or do we want to wait until, until something happens? I think it's just important to, to get the thinking started. Yeah. Matt, do you want to step in there? Well, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know way more than us, that it seems like the single best improvement routing nodes can make are these shadow private channels, right? Oh, I'm not sure if it's the single most important thing they can do, but it's like, it's an easy thing to uh, to make it better. There's, not, there's no downsides to this. The only reason why you want to publish this Wombo channel of 5 BTC is if you actually want to accept 5 BTC sized payments but that seems right. not yeah and that won't even be like if, when we get multi-part payments or more throughout the network then then that won't even be as yeah, big of an issue that, right that's also the case you could even make a decoy channel just make a 0.16 channel always just to show that you that the connection is open and leave all the rest hidden like i'm sure if that if everybody would do this like the routing capabilities would hardly be um uh, would, would be hardly any effect on the routing capabilities of the network, but the total locked value would shrink dramatically. <laughs> yeah, so we, we've already come to the conclusion that for end users, uh, except for Keysend, they sh should basically only be using private channels uh, if they're not routing. And then for routing nodes, uh, dedicated routing nodes, the majority of their capacity should probably be in private channels, right? Yeah. So, so a successful lightning network, in your opinion, is going to have, it's going to be like an iceberg. The overwhelming majority of capacity is going to be in private channels, not public. Yeah, definitely. And there's another reason why you want to have private channels. Um, it is because it makes pathfinding much easier because now you've got all these public channels that don't really serve a purpose for, for routing. 
but they are still explored when you send a payment. So another thing that I've been working on last year is to try to penalize nodes that advertise public channels that are not functional. And the idea was if we penalize those nodes and we skip them for the next payment, uh, then they will see their routing revenue go down. And if that's the case, they might choose to close or convert those channels into private. So create pressure from the senders on routing nodes to um, only advertise the channels that are actually usable. And if this would happen, this is another reason why the, the visible graph would shrink. Um, and this speeds up uh, finding the path. Uh, it's also better for, for mobile clients, for example, that have limited resources. Um, yeah, but it's it's pretty weird because people always look at these 1ML stats and they see, ah, there's 1,000 BTC committed now. And last year, it was also 1,000, so nothing's happening. Um, it's just a bad metric. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's a stat that is used to throw a lot of fun at the Lightning Network. There's more rap BTC on Ethereum than the Lightning Network. And yeah. It's hard yeah. to get through to people that they're only looking at public channels. Um, but bringing this back to multi-path payments and Wumbo, uh, focusing on the benefits of the combination uh, of those two upgrades, particularly, I believe, Breeze Wallet wrote a post uh, about a month ago at this point, describing how the combination of MPPs and Wumbo channels will uh, create a better UX while increasing uh, liquidity. They, I believe they described it as MPPs have an additive property to liquidity and flow on the network that has uh, really made uh, the user experience significantly better or will make the user ex experience significantly better when it's more widespread. Yeah, yeah, that uh, multi-path payments are definitely a very good user experience improvement because it's always difficult to uh, explain on Lightning what's your balance. Like you can sum up all the channel balances that you have, but this is not really the size of payment that you can can make. Like you can only make a payment uh, smaller than the size of your largest channel. And it's just hard to explain that. And with MPP, with an ideal MPP, we're not there yet because the routing algorithm isn't that sophisticated. But with an ideal MPP, you would be able to combine all the balance that you have in those channels and then use it to uh, settle a single payment uh, at, the, at the recipient. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, if you're going to continue. Yeah. So, and in a way, it also, there's less need for Wombo channels because if you can combine channels, you don't need a Wombo channel anymore to make a large payment. Like there are other reasons why you want to have Wombo channels, but uh, MPP in a way also um, reduces the need for Wombo channels. Yeah, and the, that's interesting. And going back to the, the routing algorithm, that's another thing that uh, the Breeze team mentioned that actually was just very interesting to me. There's, people are talking about applying something like the Fibonacci sequence to to channel routes or so what are, what are the options right now for the routing algorithm one is just to try to send uh oh actually i'm not even going to describe it you know it better than me yeah well routing algorithm is very very difficult for uh multi-paths um, because you have so little information you don't know you know the capacities of the channel but you don't know what the balances are so what you're doing is you're trying to complete the payment and while you're doing this you're learning something about channel balances because if, if a particular uh, part doesn't reach the destination you get back to failure you know okay one million through that channel that's not possible but there might be some of those shards that have already arrived 
from which you're not getting feedback because that's the property of lightning at the moment if your shard arrives and the recipient is still waiting for the other shards to arrive there's no feedback so it could also be that the shard is stuck so with that very limited information you need to decide okay what am i going to try next and also you can't try too many things at the same time because then those hfcs will interfere with each other and they might make each other fail while in reality if you would them sequentially do, do them sequentially uh, there would be enough uh, balance on, on on those routes so there's a lot of factors and also timing factors involved to actually make this make this optimal so i can only speak for what's happening lnd in, in lnd at the moment and uh, there we've we've implemented something that's relatively relatively simple uh, just to, to get it started to show that multipath payments can happen uh, but that doesn't mean that if you have three channels with a total capacity of one BTC that you can ma also make a payment of exactly one BTC because the, 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 the algorithm needs to try out options. And at some point you also run out of time. Like you can't try all options. So this is, this is a, a, an area that still needs like a lot of uh, research to figure out what's the best, what's the best way to do this multi-path route planning. That's fascinating. Is it fun working on this stuff as a intellectual, like trying to figure out these hard problems? Oh, definitely. Lightning is the most challenging uh, thing that I've worked on. What were you doing before Lightning? <laughs> I was doing also uh, routing, but then for ships. So uh, ships, they their routes need to be optimized uh, according to the weather predictions. Uh, heavily influences like the safety of the of the the crew and also uh, the fuel consumption. So it was in a way a related optimization problem. Yeah, it's fascinating so are you able to apply anything uh, that you used in uh, in that lifetime to the lightning network uh, bring... not, not really not really the lightning network is pretty it's, it's pretty special like basic pathfinding is the same uh but the the constraints are very very different figuring out logistics for a while now is that what you draw you to the lightning network it's like hey this is a a harder no, no, no. Uh, what drew me to the Lightning Network is Bitcoin. Um, and I wanted to, after like uh, working all different kinds of projects at the site, I'm only watching Twitter and reading about Bitcoin. I'm not doing anything myself. I need to I need to make a decision now. Am I going to contribute seriously or do I keep watching all the time? So then I, uh, the contract that I was on at that moment, uh, I, I didn't extend that. And then um, I took sort of a crypto sabbatical, let's call it like that. So I, I, I used three months just to become an open source developer. And I had my eye on Lightning already, um, on L&D specifically. And then within L&D, I was quite overwhelmed with like the, the number of lines of code. It's, it's very complex, like Lightning in general. And also to understand the code base, it's just hard. Like that's, even after two years, there's like, like whole parts of the code base that I never touched and, don't, and still don't really know how it works. So I was looking, okay, where can I start to contribute? And there were a couple of issues around routing then. So then I thought, okay, maybe maybe I should look at the routing part because at least there's some familiar, familiarity in that for me. Um, so yeah, that's why I started to uh, to work on routing in Lightning. Had you contributed to open source before Lightning or is this your no, first no. foray? No, never before. How's the... Uh... How's that been comparing it to uh, your prior life where I assume you had a, a product manager and a team uh, dictating what to work on? Like, how is this, this broad canvas differ to that, the interaction with the uh, open source community? Any different? Yeah. 
I think it's it's very good. Like there, you get so much direct feedback from users, like users commenting on on pull requests, even submitting pull requests, creating issues that you see. Um, like in the companies that I worked before, uh, there was like all like different departments in between, like filtering stuff, and it was much more indirect. Like you didn't really know who you were doing all these things for, because you didn't know those people. And uh, this is this is quite different. And also as a developer, it's nice that uh, your work is public. So you can always show what you've done. You can show um, the things that you found in reviews, like your communication style, because that's also pretty important in software development, like the way you communicate with, with colleagues, with, with users. Yeah. So a lot of pluses. Yeah. Well, we're happy to have you here. You're getting some user feedback right now. We're uh, again, we're big, we're big fans of the Lightning Network, and uh, we were actually huge fans of uh, another project you work on. I forget what it's called. WhatsApp. Is, uh, was it WhatsApp? Yeah, WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah, WhatsApp. So sending messages over Lightning Network. This is infinitely fascinating to me. But you were describing to us before we hit record that it actually sort of contradicts the the, <laughs> the solution you uh, you presented uh, in Circuit Breaker. Yeah, yeah, it's indeed interesting because. Um... So with WhatsApp, what you're doing is you're sending these tiny, tiny payments and a message is attached to them. And you can go do this back and forth. Um, but the thing is with these tiny, tiny payments is that uh, if you are routing nodes and you have these tiny payments on your channel and you need to force close the channel, it can get very expensive. I've published another tweet, uh, I think, was it last week or maybe Monday? Um, I think Monday, where I show what the transaction looks like. So if you have a channel and you have 483, uh, 483 um, small-ish HTLCs on them, not I don't say one set, but let's say 10,000 sets, to this, this transaction, it becomes huge. And also the fee on the transaction becomes huge. So it could be the case that uh, over time, it turns out that for Lightning to work, there is a minimum payment size that, that we want to that we want to have. So that's the contradictory part to WhatsApp. Yeah, push pull. WhatsApp seems very like to me. WhatsApp uh, just having a, a distributed messaging protocol uh, on Lightning, it theoretically cannot be censored, was uh, just a, an incredible idea. And people have put it into practice. Like I have the Sphinx app on my uh, on my phone and a couple others. Uh, what's the one that uh, John Contrell made? Juggernaut. Juggernaut, yeah. I've played around with that too. So it's been cool to see people run with the idea that you put out there and actually build products that work. Yeah, that's pretty nice. And also, uh, I think um, there's also other ways to uh, create messaging on Lightning uh, without using one HCLC per message. Because another model could be that we say, okay, the message relaying, we just we don't do this with Lightning, but we just take our own, like our own... Um, out of band channel for that, but those nodes still need to pay each other. So it's more like prepaid. So one node pays the other node uh, 10K sets to uh, relay 10K messages, and then uh, a counter starts ticking. And maybe if messages blow, uh, flow in both ways, the, the balance will go back to the other side again. So you make the, um, the billing a bit more loose from the message passing itself. And uh, that could also be a way to get around this whole thing that every message is an HLC and maybe the HLC shows up on chain and then it becomes expensive. Um, Lightning, it's so like, 
you can make these payments between machines so frictionless, like it, it really opens up a lot of possibilities also for this. So perhaps like a second version of WhatsApp would be um, like with this style of, of billing model. Yeah, and you could also use the, it's still in that model, you could easily just use the pub key for encryption, web of trust. You can, uh, do the, you can still yeah. do the exact same things, but you just don't put it in a Bitcoin transaction. That's, right. the, that's the only thing you don't do. I mean, that makes more sense to me just on an external, it just seems cleaner just in general. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think so too. Yeah. And uh, it's, again, we are very bullish on the lightning network and what excites me something uh, that you just touched on that is, is things like LSAT and LNURL auth and the, the fixing of the 402 error on the web, like the thought that Bitcoin via the Lightning Network can actually uh, fill in a puzzle piece that's been missing on the internet for, for decades is uh, incredible. And again, it seems like a, a very worthwhile project to attempt to tackle. Um, even if it may be unsuccessful in the long run, I think trying to solve these hard problems is, is fun. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah, the 402 payment requirement. It's amazing that they figured out that code already back then. I'd never used it. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's almost like it was just waiting for Bitcoin to come along. Yeah, yeah, somebody knew. <laughs> All right. Uh, and so let's uh, envision a future where a lot of these security flaws that currently exist are, are figured out. Like, what do you think the overall potential for the Lightning Network is in the long run? How how will it change our lives, uh, even beyond a a simple payments infrastructure? Very very difficult question. Like, what's the future going to look like? Yeah, I well, there are some some clues like this. It's like full integration in, in your browser, like everything connected together. It's totally frictionless pay, pay buttons, like for every web shop that you, that you visit. Yeah, that sounds nice to me, but there's also like the interaction with uh, Bitcoin as a savings technology. Um, that could also uh, strengthen the bond between, um, strengthen the bond between on-chain and, and, and off-chain. Like if everybody owns on-chain Bitcoins, then it also becomes more logical to, to actually use Lightning to, to spend them. So, yeah, perhaps the gaming, the, the, the gaming use case also seems to, to become more important. Like I, I wouldn't really be able to set out a future, like how this is exactly going to look. Yeah. One of my uh, big questions. Uh, Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. Well, I kind of wanted to flip it on its head. Like what are your biggest concerns about lightning besides, um, this HTLC DOS you know, denial of service issue. Yeah. So in general, I, I don't have any fundamental concerns. Like there's all these security things that needs to be fixed. Like also in the UX, uh, in the end, you don't really want to know that the channel exists. You want everything to be transparent. Just use it as a regular wallet. I can send, I can receive everything happens under the hood. And it's really a lot that needs to happen under the hood. And it all needs to be automated, like in a way that also makes it work, uh, as the user expects. So work, work, work. Uh, but yeah, fundamentally, the only thing I, I would think like if everybody needs to have a channel on the earth, how much change space is going to cost. So 
is that going to work in the end? Like this is a stage we're very far away from. And I also don't want to dismiss any idea uh, now because it might, may, it, because there is a chance that it wouldn't be able to serve everyone on the planet. Uh, like lighting is already like an order of magnitude difference in uh, scalability than, than layer one. Uh, but I do wonder sometimes what's it going to look like, but pro probably there will be like some custodial things happening again like people keeping small money on a, on a service that maintains the channels. It is already happening now. So that might also be a way out for that. But yeah, indeed, if opening a channel costs you a thousand dollars, then uh, it's not for everyone anymore. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing, uh, I mean, a lot of usage of Lightning right now is custodial. And I mean, as far as UX and feature wise, you can do a lot more yeah, uh, if if yeah. you go that custodial route, so I kind of wonder if there will be a balance there. I mean, I know historically, as Bitcoiners and 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 me in particular, like not your keys, not your coins, a hundred percent. But at the same time, I start to see myself wander. Uh, you know, today I someone showed me this project CoinOS um, dot io, and it's this combined wallet that is on chain Lightning and liquid all together like you can receive on any of those and you can send on any of those but it's custodial it's a web but, wallet too right yeah but it could be run through tor and like anybody can run it so like there's some interesting models there where like you're kind of distributing trust even though it's custodial the ux is completely different so i, I i'm kind of curious how that all plays out i thought you could i thought you could point it at your own server yeah you but could I mean, run your own server you could use it non-custodial. You could use it custodial. You could run it custodial for other people, right? There's like all these different, and then people have, have talked about stuff like Chami and eCash and stuff, where it's it's you know it's theoretically perfectly private but custodial. There's like all these different little custodial things you could do, and I don't know if that's a trust model we want to explore. But the nice thing about Bitcoin is it is permissionless, so people can if they want. Yeah, I'd say that uh, if we manage to create a, a new financial system that has a backbone that's non-custodial and decentralized, I think that's already quite an accomplishment. And then if there are like numerous like uh, parties that offer custodial services, it's probably going to happen anyway. But to, to decentralize the backbone, that's that would already be amazing. Yeah, this may be uh, a little controversial, but you also have to take into consideration too, like the the incentive. Uh, for people who want to make transactions that other people don't want them to make uh, may be high enough that they're willing to pay higher fees on-chain to open up channels and facilitate what others would deem as nefarious activities. So that could actually protect the lightning in, in the long run, as we see it in the traditional financial system, the drug cartels and uh, kleptocrats and corrupt people around the world are able to pay to get their transactions pushed through the, the banking system, which is supposed to be preventing those. Um, so you mean that can happen or that can't happen in Lightning? No, it can happen. And I think it will happen. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. If it becomes very expensive to run a node, then uh, you will get those issues probably. But for me, these are all worries like for later. Like if we get to that stage, we're so successful already. It's, uh, yeah. It's a good problem to have. Um, so I actually have two more topics that I know I want to cover uh, while we have you here. 
Uh, the first one is Watchtowers. Uh, Eye of Satoshi, the first uh, proper release came out today. The first stable release came out today, which I think is the first like proper Watchtower. Um, they is this is big news, right? Like I, we've been talking about Watchtowers for years now. Yeah, I, I'm not not very familiar with Watchtowers. Of course, I know what they are, roughly how they work. Um, there's Watchtower and LND as well, but it is it's probably not the same as IS Satoshi. I don't really know what they what they have, so I wouldn't be able to comment much on that. Matt's got uh, got dogs. He's shutting out of the room right now. Uh, yeah, Watchtowers. I mean, it's something people have been talking about for a while. I, I, well, they are important. They are definitely important to to, to have, and also. Uh, it's the interesting thing about it is that you don't really know if someone is using a watchtower. So just the fact that there is a watchtower implementation available already has a deterrent effect probably on anyone trying to breach your channel because you never know if somebody's running those watchtowers. So even without nobody running the watchtowers, it still has effect to just have the code out there. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm most excited about is just having them out there. Like I just want you know the 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 capability being there, so so the malicious actors are worried about it and and maybe they won't make their move. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also doesn't seem to happen that much at these uh, channel breaches. It's pretty rare. Yeah, why? Well, I'm surprised. You know, I mean, I've been uh, my favorite way of of learning and understanding things is just dive in head first, um, and I'm I'm just surprised that my channels haven't been getting attacked. I mean, I'm gonna knock on wood, you know, but I, I yeah, but this, I haven't been it, using watchtowers. Well, it's a game theory, isn't it? Like they don't know that you don't use watchtowers. Well, now now everybody knows. Well, now they... I started using watchtowers right before this episode. I'm just okay, talking okay, about okay. before that. But yeah, I guess the case is like if you breach and you lose, you you lose the full channel balance. So there's a penalty. Yeah, yeah that is true. That is a pretty big penalty. Um, and so and I also, mean, yeah. given yeah, that attacks aren't happening either, um, it's probably like the whole friendly thing still uh, being the case in Lightning. Yeah, that it kind of bothers me. It's like the calm before the storm that there's just no, there's like no real attacks that have been happening that have been yeah. reported. Yeah, I've also been like advocating a little bit for like the chaos monkey idea. So having some kind of a node that randomly randomly does things that it can do, just to keep ourselves tuned to this, those possibilities. Yeah, it's like a white hat hacker. Like I'd like to see some. Yeah, like a like white penetration hat hacker. The only test. thing is, if you have like a regular company and you hire a penetration tester, it's all right because they're going to attack you. But on the Lightning Network, you can say, okay, I'm going to pay someone to attack me. But you might be at the same time be attacking other nodes as well, like because you use the network, maybe you jam the network. So it's it's a bit harder. Like you can't just decide this on your own sometimes and ask someone to hack you. So. And how effective is attempting to to test out these attacks on a test net? Uh, how effective is that, if at all? Yeah, you can get it done on the test net. Like the problem with test net is always uh, the, f the, the fee estimation, like the blocks are never really full. And a lot of these attacks have to do with fees and, and congestions. So you would need to figure out a way to... Um, uh, to simulate to, to, to simulate that. But I think if you do it on testnet, it doesn't really contribute to um, making it important because only when it happens on mainnet, it, 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 it hurts. And then uh, something is might be happening. Like that these attacks exist and that they work, that, that's, that, that, that is clear. Like it's not nonsense what's written in those papers. Uh, it's just, it doesn't really happen. So you need to decide, prepare for something that doesn't happen or do something 
else that I need today. Yeah. No, because there's been attacks that have been able to drain channels, correct? Um, that have been made public within the last year. Well, there are, there are still a lot of things that you can do. Like the whole reason that you have anchor channels is also, uh, so this new commitment format uh, with anchors, the whole reason that you have this is uh, to, to patch a hole that was there. Like if you're stuck with a commitment transaction that is pre-signed and the fee is not high enough and you publish it to chain if you need to, and the fee market went up uh, since it was signed, it's not getting confirmed. And then you might reach the deadline of your HCLC. And once you pass the deadline, uh, both parties can claim the HCLC, the race exists. So that might make you lose money. So, but it's not that nothing exists at the moment. Yeah. But for all Another... these, there's also trade-off with all these things. Like some of these attacks also require significant investment, for example, in setting up channels. Um, and also uh, it may be dependent on the fee market conditions, which you don't really know. So it's also not easy to, to do those attacks. You'll need to write custom software to, to do it. And then you need to calculate what your odds are of actually succeeding. So it's a lot of work there. It's as someone on Twitter said as well, uh, it's probably easier just to scam somebody out of their seat and <laughs> yeah, I mean, a millionaire like that. We saw some guy he lost 1,400 Bitcoin in his Electrum hot wallet, right? That's larger than the public capacity of Lightning. So yeah, it's a lot just, easier. You just fish him with a link. So this is another reason to keep the public capacity down. Fair. Good. That's a good point. Make it less of a honeypot. Yeah, Lightning is not a success. Just stay away from it. <laughs> right. I like that line of reasoning. Um, my So my other question is also probably something that, so you said you weren't like that in tune with watchtowers. Um, I was just wondering if you have any thoughts on liquid. Oh, no, not at all. Liquids. I, <laughs> I, know, I know nothing about that really. Fair enough. It's, it's really impossible. There are so many things going on and even within the lightning domain, there's a lot I can't keep up with. So it's, yeah, you just need to choose what you want to work on. Yeah. Very fair. Well, I have another question, particularly around the multiple implementations. You've mentioned you've been focused on L&D specifically, and this is a question I like to pose to Lightning developers whenever I have them on the podcast, is is what are your thoughts on uh, the different implementations, how they interact, and how they may evolve going forward together? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's definitely good that we have multiple implementations. Like, for example, with the Anchor, with the new Anchor commitment format, uh, other implementation also start implementing this. We find inconsistencies and, and, and work those out. Just the fact that we all try to remain interoperable, it just uh, makes the whole thing more, more robust. Like there's also timing, timing issues that might uh, not show up if you have two of the same implementations communicating and with two different Im implementations, uh, they do show up. So it's very valuable in that sense. And also it seems that the different implementations have different uh, things that I find important to work on. Something like anchor channels is like universally uh, supported. But um, yeah, as, an, as, a, as a project team, you can also decide on what your own priorities are with, within that and influence each other. Like with MPP, for example, I believe all implementations have a different algorithm to do MPP. So it's very interesting to, to look at each other's approach and uh, see if you can, can come up with something better. So there are more than three implementations, but I'm talking about like the three uh, ones that are mostly in production at the moment. Yeah, it's been it's been fun watching them grow alongside each other. And I guess a follow-on question on 
a follow on question here would be like, how hard is it to maintain interoperability? How, how much communication is going on between the differing implementation teams? Yeah, it's, there's quite a bit of communication. Like we've got this two week bi-weekly, uh, bi-weekly is that every two weeks? No, that's twice a week, right? No, it's both. It's confusing part of English. <laughs> it could be either. Every two weeks we have this IRC meeting and we chat about, uh, issues that, um, that exists and they are often about interoperability. Like some things don't need to be discussed because every implementation can decide for their, on their own. And then we've got these PRs with spec changes. The spec repository itself is pretty cool. Like there's one repository that describes the lightning spec. Um, and there's a lot of like very lengthy discussions. Um, you need to have a lot of patience uh, in that process, but in the end, a lot of good things come up as well, like things that you haven't thought about. Um, I think in general, like humans are just not smart enough for software development. It's always a fight against the complexity. Uh, so you need to do whatever you can to make sure you minimize the number of bugs that you have and getting a lot of eyes on something. Uh, it's just very, very valuable. So what I've experienced from this whole cooperation process, I find it uh, pretty good. Thanks. And looping back to your comment earlier that when you first approached Lightning, L&D specifically, it had so many lines of code. Is the protocol in that implementation working to uh, reduce the overall amount of codes or amount of codes, lines of code? Uh, is it is that not a focus? Is it is it more refining right now or add, additive? Uh, it's still it's still additive because there are still a lot of things that need to be that are, that are missing, especially the automation part, making sure that you don't need to worry about anything. You just start up your node. Maybe you can even like, stake some bitcoins. I just throw some bitcoins at it, and it will open channels for me, and it will earn routing revenues. Everything transparently, like we are far from that stage, but it could happen <laughs> at some point. And I think similar discussions uh, happen in Bitcoin Core. Is that we will, a split will be made between like the more core functionality, like just maintaining the security of your channels uh, and uh, functionality that's more in the periphery and the split that make two projects out of it, but like the total code base will still be growing, but at least it becomes more more manageable. But I don't think shrinking is really an option. Like if you're lucky, you may be able to delete some code, perhaps with a new commitment format or uh, different uh, layer one um, possibilities. There might be something that can be deleted, but in general, I don't think it will be, it, it, it won't be, won't decrease much. Interesting. Thank you for these insights, Yost. Uh, and thank you for your hard work and uh, vocalization of everything that's going on in the Lightning Network. Again, I want the Lightning Network to succeed and knowing that people as smart as you are working on it gives me uh, some comfort at the end of the day. And Matt's got a question here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot of us are kind of hoping that Lightning uh, becomes or like plays a, a major part in being a user-friendly option for Bitcoiners to, to have, you know, relatively decent transactional privacy with, uh, with their usage of Bitcoin. Uh, do you think, do you think that these um, beliefs are founded? Like in reality, do you think that this, this could be a, a, a way for us to, to achieve some level of privacy for the end user where they don't really have to, to know like all the specifics? Yeah, well, there there is a level of privacy by default, but you still need to know like uh, its limitations. Like if I make a payment to you uh, through Marty, and you ask Marty where did the HLC come from, and he tells it came from came from me, 
then at least you know something like I, I could not be like the, the, the sender, but just relaying. But um, it's not that it's impossible to figure out where it came from. So I guess I guess to re reword my question, uh, because we've talked about that a lot on the podcast and I absolutely agree. Uh, I think part of the reason is that it improves privacy so much for Bitcoiners is just because the privacy guarantees of on-chain Bitcoin is just they're so low to begin with. Um, I guess what my question really is, is you've been in the weeds in lightning development. Do you think that improving like accessible privacy for Bitcoiners is a goal that is shared among a lot of lightning developers? I, I think so. This is a theme that comes up quite often. And if you talk about like new changes to the spec, the whole privacy thing, uh, it, it, yeah, it comes up uh, often like uh, for example, the, we talked about uh, amount randomization to uh, like never send round amounts, but add a bit of noise. If MPP don't split in one plus one BTC, but make it uh, 0 0.3525 uh, and the remainder. So yeah, but awesome. maybe in the future, like suppose uh, routing nodes need, need to go and do KYC. Let's suppose that's the future. Then like all those routing nodes will keep logs of HLCs where they came from, where they went through and then, yeah. You don't have the privacy anymore. So and it can get pretty messy pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like with the, uh, with the, um, the coin joints where there's like mathematical properties that make it impossible to figure out where it's, uh, what input went to what output, like with lightning network, it's, it's, it's different, but it's also a matter of like, how hard is it and uh, how much privacy do you need for whatever you are buying? Like there's probably also limits to what the information so, uh, someone can obtain so yeah and how hard would it be to enforce that regulation how expensive would it be and like uh, where the priorities are right like i'm, I'm thinking of things like with multi-part payments and like enforcing more hops right even something as yeah, simple yeah, yeah. as enforcing more hops for or like looking for routes that have more hops rather than less hops could be like little things like that little priority things that might result in higher transaction fees but they will result in better privacy guarantees. Yeah, yeah, that's the lever that we currently really don't have. We can't set like a minimum hop length, uh, a minimum route length. But uh, for, from a privacy perspective, that would be that would be good. That's a good point, Matthew. I never thought of that. Makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, well, just uh, again, I appreciate your time. Do you have any any parting notes? Anything? You want to get off your chest before we wrap up here uh, that you think the freaks should know? Um, I'm just interested to hear any feedback like on the, the security themes that I try to uh, to shine a light on and also um, looking for feedback on this whole uh, circuit breaker idea because uh, circuit breaker is one approach to, to tackle this, but there are also other ways uh, to tackle this. So in general, any feedback about security is, is very welcome. Awesome. Where uh, where can we find you? Uh, whether on Twitter, uh, GitHub, uh, yeah. anywhere that yeah, I'm on Twitter out. and GitHub. That's it, indeed. So it's uh, Joost J G R on uh, on Twitter, and uh, Joost Jager is probably very hard to to spell this. Maybe you have show notes or something that you can put it in. Yes, we'll put it in the show notes definitely. Uh, but I'll spell the Twitter for the freaks. It's J's. J O O S T J G R on Twitter. Right. Awesome. Well, yes, I hope you have uh, an incredible rest of your evening. I know it's uh, getting late where you are. 
Uh, Matt, do you have anything to wrap up with? No, just I, I, I truly appreciate you and thank you for all the work you're doing to uh, improve lightning. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very enjoyable conversation. Yes, I, uh, I'm very excited to get this out to the freaks. I think this is going to be very educational for everybody who's interested in lightning. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love. <laughs>